TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to The Wellness Guys. I'm Dr. Lawrence Tam. I'm Dr. Damien Kristoff. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this is The Wellness Guys Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into our lives. And this episode is brought to you by The Wellness Summit, the one day that's going to change your life. For more information, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com. Now, this is going to be a fantastic episode, guys. I am so excited about this because we have a very, I guess, not unusual guest, but I never thought I'll be talking to a dentist, of all people, on The Wellness Guys Show. But we have a special guest, Ron Ehrlich. <laughs> Welcome to The Wellness Guys. Um, he's a holistic dentist. And so... Uh, you know, I'd love for you to tell us, Dr. Ron, to tell us a little bit more about what holistic dentistry is about. Well, thanks, fellas, and thanks for having me on. I've really enjoyed your show, and I hope one day when I grow up, I can have a show just like this. Um, now, it's really, really been great. Um, holistic dentistry is, uh, I guess, the, the thing that defines a holistic dentist is that instead of just primarily focusing on a person's tooth, uh, or their mouth, for that matter. We're also we're primarily focused on the person attached to the tooth, and that changes our whole approach to a whole range of different things. Um, and and holistic dentistry. I mean, when you think about oral health, if you think um, breathing well and sleeping well and eating well are important, then uh, a healthy oral cavity is really important as well. So. It's kind of the gateway to um, the respiratory tract. It kind of determines the shape of the upper airway, literally the shape uh, of the upper airway. It's also part of the digestive tract. So prepare if, you, if things are working well, then you're going to be preparing the food for digestion. Uh, there's a whole lot of neurology. I mean, 30 to 40% of the body's nervous system occurs in this orofacial region. So there's a lot of neurology in this area, and that can affect... Muscles. So if you clench or grind your teeth, uh, it can affect muscles throughout the body. And, and so we get into a lot of chronic head and neck pain problems. And then there's infections. You know, I mean, the two most common infections known to man, woman or child are gum disease and tooth decay. And both of those obviously are in the mouth. <laughs> and, then, and then that leads us into having to fix things. And so as dentists, we implant more material, more foreign material than probably all other professionals put together. So our choice of material should be a good one. That's so, uh, it's it's so refreshing to hear all this, Ron, because you know in our in our industry and certainly as chiropractors, certainly the chiropractors we're talking to tonight and the ones that are probably listening to this, we're all about holistic health and looking yeah. after the whole of the body rather than just a condition being condition specific. So it's really nice to hear that. And I suppose um, the the next question uh, that that begs is, well, what does a dentist actually do then about the whole of the body? Obviously, I take care of the mouth, but and there's long links that we can draw, but what specifically sort of information we, would you give to somebody who's coming to see you as a holistic, a holistic dental patient? What are you telling them to do? Yeah. Well, I think uh, our focus uh, over the years has been a lot on, well, if you think about it, if the, the, most, the hardest part of your body, a tooth, decays because of what you eat, um, then perhaps, you know, and you kind of think, wow, if that's what happens to the hardest part of my body, what's going on to the rest of my body? So all the things that cause tooth decay are all the things that aren't good for the rest of your body as well. So we, we focus on, on uh, 
on looking at diet, obviously, mm-hmm. but also focusing on a lot on quality of sleep. One of the most common questions we ask people now is, um, is it easy for you to fall asleep at night? Do you wake up through the night? Um, do you wake up feeling refreshed, um, like you've had a good night's sleep? And the, and the reason we're asking that is because if people aren't sleeping well, um, from a dental perspective, they're doing a lot of clenching and grinding of teeth. And, uh, and so that has all sorts of implications on teeth breaking, cracking, fillings breaking or cracking. Um, so we're focusing a lot on, on sleep and breathing well while we're asleep. So that's another area we focus on. We see a lot of patients also for chronic headaches and neck aches. So I think a lot of people would refer to them as normal tension headaches if there is such a thing as normal tension headache. I think that's a bit of an oxymoron, but that's something we focus on as well. And, and of course, when people come to us to have restorative work done, the whole issue about mercury amalgam and, and how to carefully remove that is another aspect that we go into. So there's a whole, there's a whole range of connections there. Uh, that we make. And so obviously you're looking at things from, I guess, more of a preventative viewpoint, Ron. Like you're, you're looking at, you know, the whole body and trying to prevent these things before they occur. So, you know, what's the key to that? What's the key to that in terms of good health? Because we hear a lot about, you know, we're kind of brought up with this idea that, you know, almost no matter what you do, you're going to end up with tooth decay and you have to floss and you have to brush and you have to go see your dentist to get these cavities filled because, you know, they're, they're almost inevitable. But I think you maybe have a different slant on that. Is that true? Yeah, well, I mean, the, there was a really interesting study done in the early part of the, of the 20th century, 1920s, 1930s, by a dentist called Weston A. Price. And what he did was he visited traditional cultures all over the world. And he looked at those that were still living in their traditional way, eating traditional foods. And then he looked at the same gene pool sometimes that was just down the road and, uh, and, and had moved into a city or a town and was eating the Western diet. So he'd eliminated, if you like, the effect of genes and looked at just the effect of diet. And what he found in the, in the, in the group that was on traditional foods, that they had virtually no tooth decay. They had enough room for all 32 of the teeth that they had evolved, like we have all evolved to have. Um, and yet in our society, there's hardly enough room for all of our teeth. Um, they had no sign of degenerative diseases that we see in Western society at all. And yet when he went into town and he examined people who were on a Western diet, they had tooth decay, they had narrow jaws, restricted airways, they had crowded teeth, they had diabetes, they had heart disease, they had all of the, the uh, diseases of modern civilization. So in answer to your question, it's, it's almost all diet related and that affects us from the moment of conception uh, right through pregnancy through through the, our entire life. So it, it is very much diet-related, and it's all about something that you guys I know talk a hell of a lot about, and that is the, the low-carb, low-sugar. I mean, you know, when you think about it, in 1900, the, the average, say, American, the statistics are more available, uh, ate around uh, two and a half kilos of sugar a year, two and a half kilos of sugar a year. By 1980, that figure had gone up to 12 kilos of sugar a year. <laughs> and 19, in 2012, the figure is somewhere between 65 and 70 kilos wow. of sugar. Gee, yuck. Much than that. You see, we only eat about 45 to 50 kilos of sugar a year, or the average is around 35 
to 40 teaspoons of sugar a day per person. Now, I don't eat sugar, so someone's eating my share. Yeah, and my share too. Yeah, yeah mine too, Ron. <laughs> yeah. That is absolutely amazing. It's amazing because, you know, as chiropractors, we're able to tell a lot from just by the spine and just palpating the spine. We can tell a lot to the patients, you know, um, what's going on in their health. But, you know, I never thought about from a perspective of looking inside their mouth, which is obviously the gateway to their intestinal yep. system, their respiratory system, that, you know, you can tell a lot too. It's amazing what the body kind of shows up, all these, you know, things. Uh, especially when it comes to sickness. Um, so yeah. what do you think, I mean, you said sugar is obviously the, the big factor here in the carbohydrates uh, that our, our Western society diet is creating the problem. You know, yeah. what about um, the chemicals? I mean, obviously when, when people think of dentists, right, as, as, a, um, as a first th- thought, it may be fear. Right? A lot of people yeah. are afraid of dentists yeah. and, and because yeah. of what they do. But, you know, sure. uh, what is some of the things that, what about the, the um, you mentioned mercury, you know, is, yeah. what is your opinion on mercury and how does that affect us from a health perspective? Look, uh, mercury is one of those issues that is just, a, to me, a huge embarrassment um, for the profession. I mean, if a profession wants to be taken seriously as a healthcare, as a true healthcare profession, um, rather than just a very mechanical approach to health, then you cannot justify placing mercury into a human body. In fact, I, I, I find it, I mean, I haven't used amalgam in my practice for almost 25 years now. And, uh, and so, um, you know, for us, it's, it's been a no-brainer. I mean, you, and when you look at the research, and there is so much research that would, would uh, suggest there are problems, and not surprisingly, um, my view is we shouldn't be using it. Now, whenever I talk to a dentist who says, oh, we really, uh, you know, there's no scientific evidence to prove there's a problem, I think what they really should be saying is, I haven't read any scientific evidence to show there's a problem. And there's a very big difference between that. Yeah, there um, is. And, and whenever I hear somebody say that to me, I say, well, just tell me this. It's, it's, when you do an amalgam filling on a patient, it's actually illegal by law for you to place the little bit of scrap you have left over um, into the garbage, the toilet or down the sink. By law, it is illegal to do that. And yet, by law, it's still legal to put it into a human body. Oh. So, <laughs> we're treating our garbage bins better than our mouths, Ron. Uh, there are some people that I might uh, share that view with. <laughs> <laughs> some people's mouths are garbage bins. But, uh, uh, Ron, uh, one of those one of those things that I mean, it is the biggest. Not surprisingly, the biggest source of mercury load to the body is mercury fillings. When you eat the amount of mercury released from that filling goes up for the next 90 minutes. When you have a hot cup of tea or coffee, when you brush your teeth, when you clench or grind your teeth, mercury is released and it gets stored in the kidneys, the liver and the brain. It affects function of, of it, it affects almost every cellular or biochemical function and that's why its symptoms are so diffused. There's not one problem with mercury. There's a whole range of ways in which it could manifest itself. Ron, um, I just earlier on, I was looking at your website, and um, and you've got a link on there to a PDF that the National National Health Medical Research Council actually has. It's from oh. two thousand and two, so it's a little yep. bit antiquated. I don't know whether they've updated it, but it says putting the issue issue in perspective. It says that um, mercury in food, particularly in fish, is often in a form that can be easily absorbed by the body. Mm. in contrast to the mercury in dental amalgam. Mm. But then it actually goes on to say that when should amalgams be avoided? Mm -hmm. The first one, it says um, pregnancy because it says that um, the amalgam from fillings can be absorbed 
and then go across the placenta into the uh, to the baby, which would say to me that it's reasonably well absorbed if it goes through the, the placenta. Breastfeeding, yep. it says that yep. you should avoid it in breastfeeding because it will get absorbed and go through the milk. So even though it's a poorly absorbed mercury, mm-hmm. it's gonna, it still will get into the breast milk. Mm-hmm. It says also children. It's now avoided for filling children's yep. teeth. That was back in 2002 because um, apparently they must absorb mercury better than everyone else. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then kidney disease. Now, if it, has to, if it gets to the kidneys, mm-hmm. it has to have been absorbed in the first yep. place. There's yep. no, as, as far as I'm aware, and I'm sure this is the same in dentistry, mate, um, if it gets into the kidneys, it's been absorbed through the gut. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, that's guys. That's exactly what I've, we've had to be putting up with for the last twenty-five years, and it is a huge embarrassment, I think, as a as a health professional. And the sooner that they just sort of accept, okay, uh, we we've got better materials now anyway. They are more finicky to put in. They do require a little more technical skill. Um, uh, you need to be more careful. How you, even the NH and MRC and that document suggests that when you have your amalgams removed, you should have it done with the use of rubber dam and a separate air source in your, over your nose. So we put a little nose piece on somebody uh, to stop the mercury vapour being absorbed through their nose and we put on a thing called rubber dam, dental dam, yep. so stop stops going down the back of the throat. It's all there. It's all there, guys. And, uh, and we put that thing up on the NH and MRC side, uh, that, that uh, handout because it basically reflected our 1987 policy. <laughs> The NHMRC policy of 2002 reflected our 1987 policy. So it's a a real, it's it's unfortunate, but it's not unusual in terms of other health issues. And you guys have covered a lot of that stuff in a lot of your shows. I know I've listened to a lot of your shows where you've sort of highlighted some of the contradictions in the health messages. Yeah, it just takes so long to filter through, doesn't it, Ron? Like the researchers are there, it's been done, but the time that it takes for that to then get to the academics, to get, then get taught at the unis, to then come through in the students to become, yeah. you know, eventually changing health policy, there's such a huge lag there that's just such a shame. Yeah. Well, and yeah. so, so, Ron, look, there's going to be so many people here listening to this podcast thinking, do you know what? I've actually got some amalgam in my teeth that was put in, you know, a year ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. Yeah. Like, what do I do now? Do I do I get that out? And is there a risk with getting it out as well? And you know, what can you tell us about that, Run? Well, I, I'd approach it carefully. Um, I think for I think there are two separate issues here. One is should we still be using the material? Should we play? Should we be placing it? And the answer is unequivocally, we should not be. That's that's really clear. It's it's very straightforward. And it's a, quite a simple thing to do. Just stop using the material. Then, then you deal with the second issue. And the second issue is, should you remove it from everybody's mouth? And I think you need to approach that cautiously. I think there are a whole range of issues that you need to look at. One, you need to, firstly, if you're going to do it, to do it carefully. You are better off leaving it in a person's mouth than going in and removing two, three, four, five, ten fillings and exposing people to a lot of mercury release. So that does need to be done carefully. And by careful, I mean the use of rubber dam, the use of separate air source in the nose so that they don't inhale the mercury vapour, lots of water, high-speed suction, um, you know, air, cutting it out in chunks. Not This is getting technical now, but, but there are just some not complicated but I think rather important protocols that people should use and, and uh, you know, that, that needs to be um, approached carefully. I wouldn't go rushing into it. 
Yeah, it's just definitely a bit of a scary thing. I've heard that people removing mercury has also got, you know, obviously side effects to that. And uh, you addressed that. So thank you so much. Now, moving on from mercury, I mean, obviously, that's the big thing. But the daily thing that, you know, most health practitioners know about, but a lot of people out in the public don't know is the fluoride issue. You know, you know, because yeah. uh, I know most uh, most countries have you know fluoride in their in their in their water, thinking that's going to be keeping the health you know the teeth strong and everything. Is there yeah. an issue with fluoride? Should we be using it? And what is our alternative if, we, if we're not using it? Okay, well, this is a really good example of what I'm talking about. What defines a holistic dentist? Because if you were a dentist that focused just on teeth, then what you're looking at is saying uh, plaque causes tooth decay. So therefore, I need to make something, make, need to make the teeth harder. So fluoride seems like a good idea, a good solution to that problem. It's a very linear way of thinking, which is, um, which is what, what goes on a lot. Now, if you're, if you're from a holistic perspective, my, my issues with this is, is a few things. One, as I said, if the hardest thing in your mouth decays because of what you eat, maybe we should be looking at what you eat. There are greater health benefits to be had and just avoiding tooth decay, um, number one. Number two, um, fluoride uh, belong, oh, it, it belongs to the same family as chloride and iodine. And so it could well compete with iodine for a place in thyroid and affect thyroid function. So I don't know about you guys, but in, I'm sure you see it in a lot in your practice too, but oh, yeah. Yeah. underactive or overactive thyroid is a major issue. Massive. And actually, since 1975, this is according to the National Cancer Institute in America, so from 1975 to 2008, the incidence of thyroid cancer has gone up 160%. So there's a thing called the precautionary principle, which kind of says, if it has the potential to cause problems, maybe I'm better off avoiding it. On top of that, Harvard University recently published a study which showed that in fluoridated areas, uh, IQ in children was reduced. Now, the industry got in on that and to then they put out a mission, an amendment which says that it, it does happen in other places but not in America. So when they use fluoride in America, apparently it doesn't have an effect on IQ. <laughs> Maybe that's because it can't go lower. No, I'm only joking. Oh, no. I'm, joking. I'm only joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I mean, oh, gosh, now I'm in trouble. But <laughs> today, Ron, we were talking, I was talking with a friend of mine today who was in Port Ferry the other day. And, um, of course, they've got lots of um, aluminium smelters there. Yeah. Now, there was stuff thrown around years ago that said that uh, one of the byproducts of making aluminium was the, was the capture of fluoride. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, it is. It yeah, is. So, and, uh, and I guess, mean, you know, one could get involved in conspiracy theories there. But, but I mean, fluoride's also neurotoxic and, and it's also, um, it affects bone. You know, like there's a study in 2006 which showed the incidence of osteosarcoma was higher in, in young boys that were exposed to fluoride than that weren't. So on the basis of the precautionary principle, my view is that if, we, uh, if there's a possibility of it causing a problem in other ways, I think we're better to avoid it and maybe we should just be focusing on a better diet, not only to get rid of tooth decay, but to improve our health throughout the whole body. Ron, I think it's a good point Damien makes there because as I understand it, there's a difference between naturally occurring fluoride, which, which can occur sometimes in some water supplies, yeah. um, and the synthetic fluoride that actually gets added to our water supply. And there's a pretty significant difference between those two. Yeah. Look, I, I'm, not, I'm not an industrial chemist, nor do I really understand the chemistry of it. 
Um, I just uh, have been of the view that uh, I, I prefer not to, I know this is almost her, like it's a heresy for me as <laughs> a dentist to be saying this, but, but uh, okay, I don't mind saying it. I think we are better off not fluoridating our water and in our and practice we're often asked, what toothpaste should I use? What's, what, what's a great toothpaste? And I say, look, despite all that you see in the, all the ads, I don't think there's anything magical about any toothpaste. It is better to be diligent in your cleaning technique. That's important. You know, make sure you get into all those nooks and crannies. Yep. Floss, find a toothpaste that, that you like the flavour of that doesn't have any chemicals in it, um, that doesn't have any fluoride, any sodium laurel sulphate. There's a whole lot of other crap in, in toothpastes. Um, titanium oxide. Titanium oxide. Uh, you know, so just find a toothpaste that you like that's that's as low low toxicity as possible. Be diligent in your diet and be diligent in your cleaning and you'll probably be all right. <laughs> Dr. Run, you're definitely not being paid by Johnson & Johnson. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's nice to hear that you can still get tough teeth, you know, just eating really well, eating good yeah, things. absolutely. So. Well, gluten, you know, that's another interesting one. And, and you know, gluten intolerance uh, is a huge problem. I mean, just because people aren't celiacs, as you guys know, uh, gluten is, is a huge problem and gluten affects tooth uh, uh, quality, the quality of dentine and enamel is affected by gluten. So, so you know, there's a problem as well. Wow, that's massive. That's a big one. I didn't, I wasn't yeah. aware of that. Although you, I could definitely see how that could be the case. Ron, you and I chatted off air early before, and yeah. uh, and this is a curly one. And um, but I've had, I've had a real big issue with people having teeth pulled, pulled mm-hmm. and then a root canal, something drilled into their head, and then something then plugged into their gum. And uh, and then the kind of the ignorance that that might actually cause some kind of an issue to another end organ. Like I've I've got some questions about that. I don't know how many questions I've got about that, but I have issues around root canals. Should I worry about them? Yeah, gee, that that's a really interesting one. Um, I mean, the the issue around there, here's the two views of root canal therapy, and this is exactly what we present our patients with. One view is to say that if a root canal is well done. And, and, and to understand what a root canal is, inside a tooth there is a nerve. And if that nerve gets decayed and dies, or if, it's, if there's a trauma to the tooth and the nerve dies, then you've got gangrenous tissue or dead tissue inside a tooth mm-hmm. that, that can become infected. Yep. And, and so the theory behind root canal therapy is that you open up a tooth, locate the major canals that you can get into, and measure them, wash them out, clean them out, put antiseptic dressing in, get the patient back a second time, uh, wash them out again with another antiseptic, and then fill them and seal them to the tip of the root. That's root canal treatment. Right. And the theory goes that if that is well done, that the body, the, the bone around the tooth heals, so where there was once pus, or, or as a dentist, we're looking at a shadow around a tooth, uh, you look at a tooth six months, 12 months later, and the bone appears to have regenerated. Mm. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. So, so that is the view, the positive view of root canal treatment. Mm-hmm. The negative view is to say you cannot possibly get in and totally sterilise a tooth and therefore there will always be toxins escaping into the body which could compromise the immune system and cause problems in distant structures. And, and therefore all root canal teeth should come out. So my view of that is this. If uh, a, a tooth has gone from having infection around it and a shadow where there was pus and 12 months later there is healthy bone, 
something positive has gone on there. I don't think it's perfect. It may not be perfect, but something positive has gone on there. That's um, and so, so that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, your immune system was compromised. So this is where it starts to get a little bit, how does one define uh, an immune system that's compromised? But, but, you know, you could make your own choice on that. Perhaps you... You know, if you were suffering from cancer, it may be a different story. Uh, perhaps if you were had terrible digestive problems, you know, whatever. Yep. Then, then perhaps one needs to look a little more critically at removing the tooth. Now, the problem is when you remove a tooth, you should replace it, and there are three alternatives to replacing it. One is to put a denture in, mm-hmm. which is a removable thing which needs to be cleaned every meal and creates its own problems periodontally, gum-wise. Mm-hmm. Second is you put a bridge on, which means you have to put a crown on the tooth on either side and attach the false tooth in the middle, and that's fixed. But what if something goes wrong with those teeth on either side? Uh, And the third thing is you put an implant in, which is titanium. So the solution to the problem may sometimes be more complicated than the problem itself. Mm. I always try to encourage my patients if we have a compromised immune system, I would say before I go and I say, well, if the root canal looks good by traditional dental standards, then I would say let's focus on getting the diet right. Let's focus on getting a really good night's sleep, quality night's sleep, and let's really build the immune system up. And then if at that point you're still compromised, then maybe we'll consider it in a hierarchy of treatment to remove the tooth. So I don't just jump in there. You know, I mean... You know, one of the, my favourite expressions, I think I've heard Patria King say this, and she said, um, my karma just ran over your dogma. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's great. That's awesome, Ron. And look, we love that approach because that just fits in so well with, with, I guess, our wellness guy philosophy, which is, you know, looking to the, the lifestyle factors first and getting your body healthy so you can deal with those challenges when they come up. And, you know, we just think that's fantastic. Um, jump, jumping back again a little bit, Ron, we obviously spoke a fair bit about the teeth and how diet can affect that. And we spoke a lot about sort of the sugar and the carbs in the diet. Um, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on acidity in the diet because I think our modern diets tend to also be a lot more acidic um, and how that affects our teeth as well. Yeah. Well, you know, in our practice, we've had, we've had two, I, I've, I've had two health models that I've worked on and one of them focuses around acidity because it really is the first step in the disease process. As soon as the body becomes more acidic, the metabolism in the body changes and it becomes more anaerobic, you know, and then we start to get bacteria and and imbalances that that can cause all sorts of problems. So body acidity is a huge problem. And when you consider consider the uh, amount of sugar that I've just described that we're, we're eating as a community... And then we say, okay, often you'll see no added sugar, but, but of course it's full of carbohydrates, which the body really quickly converts to sugar anyway. Um, and, and then people, I mean, the, the, the consumption of soft drinks, even if a soft drink is zero sugar, the acidity of Coca-Cola or carbonated drinks is something like three and a half, pH of three and a half, now, you know, that's huge. That's really acidic. Uh, sports drinks. Um, there's a whole range. of Alcohol. I mean, you know, we're, we've, we've got so many things that we are bombarded with on a daily basis um, that, that will push our body into a more acidic state. So I think that's a huge problem. 
Dr. Ron, I've been fascinated about this show so far. I mean, this is just absolutely amazing information that you've been able to put out there. And since, uh, unfortunately, you know, we're kind of running to the end of the time here. But uh, you have some, um, you have amazing workshops that you do and a lot of talks that you do. I think you even do one on a three day workshop in South France. I'm coming to that one. <laughs> um, tell us yeah, about. It was terrific this year. We had a terrific time and, and did a lot of cooking as well. Oh, that's great. I, know, I noticed that you cook for everybody who comes to your workshop. Um, Dr. Ron, I'd love for you to be able to sort of tell us a little bit about your practice and where you are um, quickly and just so that people know where to find you. Sure. Well, my practice, which has been there since about 1980, is the Sydney Holistic Dental Centre, which is just in the uh, centre of Sydney. It's opposite Hyde Park on Elizabeth Street, and people can go to our website, the, um, the shdc.com.au, and have a look and see. Um, there's four of us there, and we're all practicing dentistry in this kind of way, so it's pretty cool. We've, we're enjoying our. I've been doing it now for uh, 32 years, and uh, I reckon this year's the best year I've had. I've enjoyed it most, and each year keeps getting better. Excellent. Well, I hope that uh, people check out your website and uh, definitely attend. For those people who are in Sydney, definitely go and attend uh, some of your workshops. That's going to be fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Ron, and your insights and your thoughts and your, I guess, your opinions on uh, some of the, th- um, the dogmas that's been uh, held around on dentistry. So thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. I'd love to hear uh, what the fans think. Uh, Tell us, go to uh, thewellnessguys.com, as always, on the website. Tell us what you think below this particular episode. But more importantly, go to Facebook. Go to our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash thewellnessguys and tell us what you think there. And, uh, you know, whether you had experience with, you know, mercury stuff or fluoride, if you ever had a question about that, um, I'm sure, you know, Dr. Ron will be happy to answer some of those questions there too as well. Uh, This episode is brought to you by The Wellness Summit, the one day that's going to change your life. Go to www.thewellnesssummit.com to find out more information and how you can join all the wellness guys and up for a chat and all the health and wellness experts in one whole day. Um, Until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives, lead by example, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Couch Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.